0: Let's open our Bibles uh, for the study of God's Word in the 26th chapter of Matthew now. We're in chapter 26 of Matthew. Not only entering the climax of Matthew's Gospel, but the most climactic event of all uh, human history. Today's text, we're going to focus on verse uh, 1 to 5. Matthew 26, 1 to 5. But I want us to read... Uh, all the way to chap- uh, verse 16 together to prepare us uh, for, for the broader context here. So I invite you to stand with me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all of these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask and a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always uh, have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for, my, for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. When one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. It's the word of God. May it be received as such. You may be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you are a speaking God, you are a revealing God. And so we thank you for your will. Which is revealed, uh, your we thank for the history of our inheritance, our people, of our Savior. That is revealed in this passage. We pray that you would um, help us to uh, both hear its message. That we would that you would help us. That your Spirit would uh, s- search our hearts and soften us to where we can apply uh, its its truth um, and and the implications of what we read here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, so as I said, um, we come now to the climax of Matthew's gospel. The climax of redemptive history and the greatest turning point in the history of the world. The victorious battle over sin and death. As we look to the cross of Christ now. That's where the whole narrative. I mean all of it has been. Has been generally looking to the cross. And we've seen those points. As Jesus has. Uh, basically, he said I'm going to die. Uh, in various ways. And with various details. But now it's. it's it means business. Now we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, here we find out why it is. In these coming chapters, that we sing that song, I Will Cling to the Old Rugged Cross. And so, any so called Christianity without the cross of Jesus Christ, that is to say, that any so called Christianity which denies or neglects God's condemnation of sin and the transgression of His law, the belief which does not require the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin, is a powerless and damning form of Christianity. The Apostle Paul said, I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is what it's all about. This is what it all, you could say, comes down to. The cross is the epitome of redemptive truth foreshadowed throughout Scripture, foreshadowed in the death of those of the first animals whose skins were used to cover the nakedness and shame of Adam and Eve uh, in the garden and following their sin. Foreshadowed in the sacrifice provided on, on Mount Moriah, a, a, a ram in the place of Isaac. We see this uh, the cross foreshadowed in the, the, Levit- the Levitical ceremonies, the sacrifices and the offerings. We see the cross detailed in, in, in Psalms, such as Psalm 22. We see it in Isaiah 53 and throughout the prophets. We see the pierced and wounded Savior in Zechariah chapter 12, all the way through Scripture. And then we hear John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, pointing to Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christianity is, more than anything else, a belief in the substitutionary death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in the stead of ruined sinners, as foretold by the prophets. And so we come now to this glorious portion of of the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning of what is sometimes referred to as uh, the passion narrative, right? You've heard that. And so in these final three chapters, beginning in chapter 26... It narrows in on the preparation for the cross. It's these preparatory kind of remarks and stories that are going to be getting us ready uh, for the cross Um, and from a variety of perspectives. And then at at the end of chapter 26 comes the arrest of Jesus. And then as we move into 27, we have the trials of Christ. And then the remainder of chapter 27 describes his execution and his burial. And then finally in chapter 28 comes the resurrection and his final instructions to his disciples. So, we, so there's this, this progress from preparation to arrest, to the trial, to execution and burial, to resurrection. And then finally to Christ's instructions to, uh, to his disciples in light of these um, really earth-shaking, climactic events in history in which the world would never be the same again. So we come now to the the, the first kind of preparatory passage where Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death. Uh, Again, I said this is not the first time. This is the fourth time he's made such a clear remark to them. But first, I want to look at the setting here. Uh, uh, In in verse 1, establishing the setting, he says, When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, so Jesus has just finished the Olivet Discourse. Uh, that's, that's what it means by all these sayings. So chapter 24 and 25. However, it is also possible uh, as you, uh, that he is talking about all that Jesus had taught that day. When he says, when Jesus finished all these sayings, there's a sense in which his teaching ministry is, is brought to its close here. Um, but also that he, he could be referring to all these sayings in, in regards to um, what he has said this day, Wednesday, leading up to the Passover, um, as I was studying, I realized here: if we keep in step with the chronology of the other Gospels, Matthew's not as intent on that on a strict chronology. But if you look at the different Gospels, um, all that Jesus said in this this day that this is spoken, all that he said uh, takes us back to chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-three. With uh, Jesus teaching and responding to his critics in the temple courts that morning, so that's uh, so to us that would it seems like that would be a, that's a very long Wednesday um, because we've been studying these events since last April, uh, since we were in chapter twenty-one. So we've been in the same day uh, of, of this week uh, since April uh, of his ministry here, and now we come to its close today with these words recorded by Matthew. And after having just considered the great and glorious day of Christ's second coming to judge the world on his glorious throne, before the disciples even get a chance to fall into, right, they're dreaming about uh, who will be ranked greatest or least again in the kingdom and and just glorying this this glorious thought, uh, Jesus takes them right back to to reality. uh, Thrusting them back to the present moment and what what immediately um, awaited them. Basically, let's get back to first things first. You know, that, that's, this is, that's, gonna, that's what we look forward to. That's what we hope in. But he said, it's time to get back to, to work here. And in verse two, we see Jesus, again, we, we have this fourth declaration of his death, uh, prediction of it. He says in verse two, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So this is the fourth and last time that he tells them of, this, of his cross in Matthew. And the most precise in terms of its timing now. He's, we've seen that we've got more and more precise in regards to who it would be doing it, how it would happen. That it would be the chief priests and scribes and they would be, they would be handed over to the Gentiles. Um... And now we, it's, we have the precision of the timing as well. Demonstrating the sovereign will of God in sending Jesus into the world for this very purpose. Um, this is highlighted by Christ's prediction. Right? His sovereignty is highlighted by his prediction and reinforced in the details of the various events that follow. As the various players are going to be presented as acting on their own volition. While also revealing, like right there, there all these various actors, and uh, as as we read about the uh, the woman um, pouring the perfume on his feet, right, she's doing this of her own, and and she's going to be rewarded for it. And we see Judas, he's acting on his own. While also we see here, it's setting the the scene to make it very clear that the sovereign hand of God is orchestrating all that is taking place. And all of this amid the context of the Passover, the festival of God's redemption of his people from slavery. And what Jesus has been saying, and they have not wanted to believe, he now says for the last time that they will, in just a matter of two days, see it come to pass. Christ was no victim of his circumstances. His death was not plan B. As, uh, as was determined before the foundation of the world, Ephesians says, Jesus stated in Matthew 20, verse 28, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That is why he came. And there are many times, from the time of his birth, when the ruling class and those of influence would have sought, they sought to take his life and would have if they could. But they were not able to do that. And we see why here. But I want you to consider other passages as well. In John 7:30, it says, "So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It was not God's will." John chapter 8, verse 20, and, there, and again, there's no other reason, just because God said, that's why. John 8:20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Because his hour had not yet come. That's why. In John chapter 10, 17, Jesus, he said, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. So this is being set up, uh, this, cha- this this verse, this chapter, the cross, this whole the passion narrative is being set up so that it is by no means viewed as an unexpected turn of events, as if Christ's plans were being thwarted or hijacked by the enemy here. If anything, Matthew gives us the opposite impression. All of these schemes to take his life were unsuccessful because it wasn't God's time, but it is now, he's saying. And as we'll see in the next couple of verses, God appoints the time of Christ's death at precisely the time the Jewish leaders did not want him it, to be done. And so we, we see now the, Jew, the, the second point is the Jewish leaders prepare to put Jesus to death. So while Jesus is preparing his disciples, we now look at the gathering of the Jewish leaders in verse 3, and then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. Um, We again here have a clear display of the incontrovertible sovereign will of God being held up in harmonious tension alongside the culpability and responsibility of man for his own actions. Jesus is declaring what is decreed by God, verses, in verse 2 there. Meanwhile, man plots in vain. Uh, the chief priests and the elders, which is basically, the I believe, probably the Sanhedrin as a whole here, the, the gathering of the council of, the, of the, those who were given charge over the Jews included both the religious and civil leaders who were granted a degree of freedom from the Romans to, uh, to rule their own people according to their own laws, so long as those laws and that right, their activity didn't undermine or overstep Roman law and authority. Um, and so that's kind of how they, they functioned. And it, and it says that they gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. And uh, we'll get to this another time, but Caiaphas... Um, by the way, it was every time you see him in Matthew, he's, it's basically him trying to have Jesus killed. He's not portrayed as a good guy. Um, and he was by no means qualified, according to God's law, to serve as a high priest. We know that also historically, uh, that that was the case. Since the, uh, since the Roman occupation, the only way to become the high priest uh, was to basically to buy your way in. And there's various... Uh, Uh, Illustrations and stories of that uh, throughout history, Um, and and you you could even see, in a sense, in our text that that's corroborated by the fact that all these people could gather together in Caiaphas's palace; that there was big enough that they could all, uh, in in secrecy, were able to gather in this place. Uh, But beyond that, it was it was still expected. Even you had to buy your way in, but you were still expected to have some kind of priestly lineage, Levitical uh, ancestry. Um which apparently uh, Caiaphas did not have. Um, and so in order to fulfill that requirement, Caiaphas apparently uh, sat, he satisfied everybody by marrying the daughter of Annas, who was the previous high priest. And so you, and you see elsewhere that sometimes there sounds like there's two high priests because Annas was still alive um, when Caiaphas took over the, the high priest's office. And so... Um, so that's how he—that's how Caiaphas kind of—he slips in here. So we already see, especially the the original reader, they would have known just by this that this is a shady meeting, just by the guy that's it's leading at the house it's at. And this is the caliber of the kind of leaders who it says gathered in verse four, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. So just as this was no afterthought on the part of God's sovereign will. So I, that needs to be clear. That's, a, that's, that's clearly what is being shown to us here. We also see on the opposite side, neither was this an afterthought on the part of wicked men. Uh, just as God is preparing the greatest act of loving sacrifice in history, and is preparing his disciples for this to come, so man is at work preparing to commit the most abominable and vile crime. In history. The language here reflects uh, that pro- the prophetic psalm, chapter 2, that we sang. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And here we see actually they're, they're showing themselves to be no different from the heathen nations. In their hostility and hatred of God's supreme rule over them. Uh, We see here a group of people who has no fear of God. Of leaders who have no fear of God. Who are in authority and power and and use it uh, to exalt themselves and to protect themselves. And have no concern for the glory of God and his rule. And this is made clear by their shady, powerless procedures that we see taking place. Again, they, they, have, they do not fear God. That is, they do not believe. Right? There's clearly no belief. To, what does it mean when we say that they fear God? Um, what would it mean for you to fear God, for you to not fear God? Uh, it essentially, it comes down to the, to the fact that they, they must, they must not. Their action shows they do not believe that he will punish evildoers and reward the righteous. That, that what they are doing is not seen, that they will not be held accountable because they're, they're at the top. They're at the, the you know no one else in society can, can hold them accountable, and so they can do what they want. They, they clearly have no understanding that there is uh, of giving an account to an authority above them. There's no fear. Verse 5 confirms. However, that they aren't fearless. They do not fear God, but they're not fearless. Verse 5 conf- confirms that they, don't, they, they fear man, which compels, it is man, the fear of man, which compels and guides them. And so we see that in verse 5, their guiding principle to, the, to how they're going to go about their plot. They said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they're plotting his death. However, they didn't want to do it during the feast, which would have, the feast as a whole would have lasted eight days um, beyond the Passover Passover itself. And so their plan was to wait at least eight days uh, from this point. Jerusalem would be jam-packed with pilgrims over the Passover, many of whom would have been witnesses to Jesus' ministry throughout the region of Galilee. Remember, most of Christ's ministry was not in Jerusalem. It was it was in the countryside. And, and during Passover, you have everybody coming from the countryside, coming to Jerusalem to, to, uh, to make their sacrifices and to participate in the Passover feast. Um, and, so giving, and so you have Jesus, right? Who in general, in, in the countryside, his ministry was well known. Giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, voices to the dumb, healing the sick and the infirm, giving life to the dead even. And in all their attempts of the leaders to trap him in his own words, Jesus would would always walk away, having strengthened his credibility and embarrassing his opponents. Right? So his popularity, is, uh, his the love of the people, is only growing. And, and you saw that in his reception in the in the, the triumphant uh, entrance into Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of this week. And these things really they made him too dangerous, too popular to touch. In the public eye, and the Passover feast would have been the worst time from the standpoint of the Jewish leaders, and again of what guided them—the fear of man not wanting to uh, stir up a riot because uh, not just because of what that would have um, uh, uh, what the the crowds would have could have done to them, but also, of course, remember their their authority is. They're under Rome, and so if they have riots going, breaking out, they're going to be in trouble with the, the Roman rulers as well. They're not going to be happy with them. And so this, it, I mean, it makes sense on a pragmatic human level that this is not the time to crucify uh, this man. Not during the feast, he says, lest there be an uproar among the people. Uh, in other words, lest these people spoil our great and wise power and and plants. In Psalm chapter 2, 4, he says, he who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. God has already decreed it. Jesus has spoken, but they would still play their part. To the destruction of the wicked as God had ordained it. Jesus would be delivered up by the Jews. To the, to the Romans to be crucified. As they, were, as they were plotting. But it would be in God's timing. As the means to God's end. In two days on the Passover as Jesus said. And on the Passover by the way. Uh, this is when lambs. Were being slain all over the place. I think, I, from if I remember correctly, Josephus uh, mentioned it was like something like two hundred and fifty thousand lambs at, at one Passover were slain, and those lambs were representative of I forget maybe ten people of, in a household, um, and so these lambs were being slain for the atonement of sin. And of course, these 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 lambs do not truly in, Totally atone for sin. Otherwise, they wouldn't have to come back, Hebrews says, to, to offer it again and again. And Jesus would be offered. So while this is going on, we have the Lamb of God who is coming to take away the sin of the world. Makes me think of Paul in Romans 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter declared to the lost sheep of Israel, uh, saying, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, note these words, Acts 2, verse 23 now, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And that word according to basically means determined by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then again we have the other side working together in harmony. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And again, we see it when, when Peter concludes that sermon in verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And this God has done it. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And even though the Jews didn't want it to happen on the Passover because they were afraid of the mob and the crowds, they were afraid of the Romans. They started a riot. There was nothing that would lead them to want Jesus to be crucified at this time. And yet, that was the plan of God. Because he was the lamb. He is the lamb of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.7, he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 1 uh, Peter 1.18, he says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that, like, the lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Not in man and his schemes and what he can, the salvation he can work out, but in God. You see him doing that in every detail, in every turn that is taken here in this narrative. Um, that while man is working and man is, 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 is the means by which these things are taking place, we see God is sovereign in it all. Jesus is ever and always the Lamb, and He must die on the Passover as the Passover Lamb. And even though that is not the will of men, we see that is the will of God. Uh, In Proverbs 16, verse 9, right, He says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's the contrast being shown to us in these verses today. And as as I just try to wrap this off to close it up by means of a couple applications, uh, the first application is uh, that we, you would be encouraged as as we look at, at into the as we look at the world and we see the the chaos and we see uh, things we see things happening where it seems like it couldn't get any worse. Um, and and you you be yourself you feel like what am I to do or what like how in the world could this work out to to bring any to any good? Um, let's take the posture not of of how this is being presented to us in Matthew in Matthew's own posture, and as we, again as we think of Psalm two alongside this, um, that we would sit back and laugh with God at the, the foolish plotting uh, of man and their schemes. Um, and that's, that's what I, I honestly find. Um, I, 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 I am interested in I do, I, I do find value in, in hearing people talk about uh, and learning about um, God, the, the the order of societies and how God and God's law and how He He, he instructs us to live together as a people and and uh, and how that ought to how, how God's righteousness and justice ought to influence and affect uh, our laws as a nation and a society. Um, I think those are important things and principles to be learning. Um, but and and, may, and sometimes I'm guilty of this, but often. I, I, when, I, when I find people, they get, you'll get worked up over seeing stuff not happening the way it ought to be. And uh, I just wanted to remind you that that's not how God, God doesn't get worked up over this stuff. As, again, he gets angry, we see. And Psalm 2 goes on to say that in his wrath, right, he will come. Um, but he doesn't get worked up as if, like, as if this is out of control. As if like, he doesn't know what's going to happen around the next turn here. As if you like, almost every single time in history, when it seems like it couldn't possibly get any worse or, or good, you know, uh, that there's just no sight in, in, in end in sight. That that is almost every single time when God does something to bring Himself glory. Um, and I think the the cross is just the, the epitome and climax of, of that kind of uh, storyline that God tells again and again throughout history. Um, so be encouraged as we enter into, again, this this seems going to be repeated. Uh, God's decreeing, God is preparing, and, I, I, and meanwhile, man is kind of working out their own side scheme. And God is, but we see that God is um, what man intends for evil. God is, is working for good. Uh, second... To consider that this is the folly. As we look at the folly of the uh, the, the rulers, the chief priests, and the elders here. Uh, that As we apply this to us, this is the folly of every unbeliever to this day. Um, Psalm 14 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven. To see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside, he says. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so, and and again, whether that describes you entirely as an unbeliever, a wholesale, or in our acts of unbelief throughout the the, the week. um, When you lie... To your neighbor, to your sister, to your spouse, to, your, to the, the person you work with when you lie to yourself. You bear false witness, just as the chief priests and the elders who plotted against Christ, who is the truth. And don't, don't say that you would be any different in that moment. If you are a liar, if you, if you refuse to cast that sin off. When you act like a coward as soon as any kind of difficulty arises, to, take, to stand for your neighbor, for justice. You act like the chief priests and the elders. You betray Christ. When governments legalize and incentivize the murder of the unborn or of the elderly or now really of anyone who's a burden to society. When you break the Sabbath, Because we have decided that a day devoted to rest and worshiping the Lord is too legalistic and too burdensome to carry out. It's too much to to rest for a whole day. I still can't believe that's that's the the one. I think that's an example where God just turns things on its head. The one that we struggle with the most is the one where God says, do nothing. Like, rest. Worship me. And we're like, that's too legalistic, God. That's... Uh, I won't commit adultery. I won't lie. I, I'll. But Sabbath? No, that's too much. That's all, that, That's one of the biggest reasons why it mentions uh, the people of God being brought out of, um, brought to Babylon, and that's uh, again and again. The breaking of the Sabbath. When you disregard, neglect, or outright outright defy the commands of our sovereign God. When, you, when we're doing these things, I'm just trying to give you examples. You, the, the Spirit of God, He has given to us to convict of sin. And so, may He work freely here among us. But when these, when these things are at work, you seek, as Psalm 2 says, to, what you're doing is you're in either subtle or, or abrupt ways, you're seeking to burst the bonds apart and cast away the cords of Christ's authority that is over heaven and earth. You're plotting in vain when we do this. And so God graciously calls out in verse 12 of Psalm 2 and he says, So repent, turn, turn around from that, get away, flee from destruction kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way that you're going so turn from your unbelief and believe in Christ and for the believer third uh, application here and we'll wrap up with this Um, again just to remind us that Christ is here laying the groundwork to his disciples specifically and as for us as we follow after as his disciples He's laying the groundwork for you to follow after Him that you may be saved in Him and rewarded in Him. Um, Matthew sixteen twenty four, right? He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and again, and we were, t- we were talking in Sunday school about um, the church during the, the first few centuries. And oftentimes, that, that death was... Actual death, like if being known as a Christian and claiming Christ, put your life at risk. And um, and I believe that's the obvious application. But again, it's there's there's more subtle ways that we are called to die to self. Um, And especially I think today, it's going to be a call to be to the death to comfort at times. Uh, The death to what is convenient. That's a big one, I think. And that's, that is a, where the biggest way, I, I think, in which uh, an antichrist spirit is, has just to, is, we're totally vulnerable to in our society um, is our idolatry of what is convenient. We must be willing to die. To, I mean, conveniences aren't, um, in and of themselves, evil. But we must be willing to die to conveniences when... When we're being told it's Christ uh, or or this way. It's Christ or convenience. It's obedience or convenience. We might be called to to die to our reputation. Die to, again, conveniences of when it comes to bank accounts being frozen. And what you're allowed to do with with finances and different things. I, I see that that is what is most relevant to us in our day. That is coming down the road. So again, for believers, we're, we're Christ here is, while we, we, our, our salvation has been purchased uh, in Christ, um, we are called to follow after him. We are called to die to the things of this world, of the age of darkness, and to cling to life, uh, the eternal life that we have in Christ. And I'll close with this, Romans 6, 5 where he lays this down for us very practically. In Romans 6, 5, he says, For if we have been united with Jesus uh, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified. So he's working out what does this mean when you're saying die to yourself? He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we, may, we would no longer be enslaved to sin, to the desires of the flesh, to that um, which would immediately gratify our own will, our own way. In verse 7, it says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. That's, so we're, we're called to die that we might be free to live for Christ. No longer a slave to our sin and our own passions and desires. He says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... As we uh, have had the opportunity to hear from your word, and of this, uh, the approaching of of the cross, and how Jesus uh, did not despise it, how he looked to the cross, he did not uh, see it as being too low a thing for a place for him to stoop, uh, and and he looks to it. And he he declares it and he he reveals um, uh, just the unshakable truth uh, and confidence that uh, this is your doing. And then as that is contrasted with the scheming and planning of man. Lord, may we be encouraged. May your church be strengthened and emboldened today as we know where this story ultimately ends. And as we are in many ways, we, we can also see the fruit throughout history of how, uh, how this plays out for the glory of Christ. Lord, help us to, uh, to believe. Help us to follow after Christ. Um, to not set our hopes on our own strength and our own plans and the ways in which we can get what we want but instead help us to trust in Christ in the way that he's prepared for us and called us to go to keep our eyes on his word. You you, you tell us and you, we see you do this often, God. You 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 are gracious and you 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 warn. Um you you are never surprised by anything, but sometimes we are. We're not omniscient. We don't know all that. And we haven't we're not God, and so we thank you for your word that you, you warn and you show us what is to come and you prepare us. And so, Lord, I, I did pray, pray that for our church as well, um, that we, as we've seen some unique, we've gone through some unique seasons in the past, where we, we yet we have no idea what is to come. And so I pray that you would be, by your grace, preparing your people um, for what will be required of us to be faithful um, in, in our walk with Christ as the church, and as, as the bride of Christ. And that, Lord, if there be any fool here, if there be any unbeliever, if there be anyone here who thinks, uh, that who knows their sin, and knows that, it, that uh, their sin will find them out, and yet they continue to lie to themselves and seek to avoid you, Lord. I pray that, they would, that you would humble them today by our spirit, and that they would um, they would surrender and that they would receive your pardon and your salvation that is offered to them today in Christ. So Lord, I pray these things so that your son would be glorified that the purpose uh, to which you called him to live and to die and to raise on the third day would continue to be at work today here among us and in, our, in the, the, the time to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.